Apple is dropping their CSAM scanning and adding zero knowledge to iCloud. Proton's calendar app is finally available for iOS. Samsung's flagship phone has been pwned a lot and a lot of big tech lawsuits this week, actually. A lot happened this week, so stay tuned. We're going to talk about it all. Welcome to Surveillance Report 113, where we are dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news from the past week. Henry is not here. You can't say Henry's not here because he said he wouldn't be here this week. I mean, you can say it anyways. It's free internet. I can't stop you, but, you know, just warning you. He, he said he wouldn't be here. So should have gotten out of your systems in last week's comments. But seriously, I am Nathan from The New Oil. Thank you guys for joining us. Okay, let's launch into our highlight story this week. And it is a big one. Apple, seemingly out of nowhere, at least in my opinion, has added end-to-end encryption to iCloud backups. This is huge because previously the FBI said they're not a fan of this and Apple, like they floated the idea, but when the FBI said something, they were like, all right, we won't do it. We'll talk more about the FBI stuff in a second. Just to clarify, Apple has always end-to-end encrypted certain things in iCloud, or at least they have before this. Specifically things like health data, passwords, and payment data. But notoriously, they have not encrypted basically everything else. And now they are encrypting basically everything else. Passwords, notes, and backups. Uh, There is also a way to do encrypted iMessage, but apparently that's really complicated and most people either screw it up or they don't turn it on because they're afraid to screw it up. It's going to be almost everything. There's going to be a few exceptions. They will not encrypt contacts, emails, and calendar data because those involve, quote, legacy protocols and or end-to-end encryption would break their interoperability with other apps and functions. This is officially known as advanced data protection. So next time you're scrolling through the settings on your iPhone and you see that, you'll know what it is. It will roll out in the U.S. by the end of this year, and it will roll out globally starting in 2023. This is actually part of a number of upcoming changes, such as the use of hardware tokens for Apple ID and iMessage contact key verification to ensure that whoever you're talking to is actually that person and there's no man-in-the-middle attack. According to the article, they actually stole this one from Signal. Alongside this change, Apple has officially killed off their plans to scan devices for child sexual abuse material. Now, for those who missed the memo, I believe it was earlier this year, what is time, Apple said that they were going to do this thing where when you uploaded anything to the cloud, prior to upload on your device, they were going to scan for child sexual abuse material. And they were going to scan known hashes against the database from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. The main criticism was, what about false positives? Well, there were two main criticisms. One of them was, what about false positives? Which as soon as this was announced, there was a whole ton of research of people proving like, yeah, I can actually very easily trigger a false positive on this system. And the other concern was like, what about in the future? Apple has been known to bow down to China's demands on other things. We're actually going to talk about one of them here in a second. So what happens if in the future a repressive country says, hey, here's like some images of a protest or a protester. We want you to flag anyone who uploads this. And now it's being used to trample on human rights. They got so much backlash, actually, that they eventually stepped back and were like, "Okay, we're going to reexamine how to do this. And that has now gone from we're going to reexamine how to do this, but we're definitely still going to do this to never mind, we're dropping it. Instead, they are going to invest more heavily into communication safety, which is a feature that is number one, opt-in, and number two, it has to be a miner's account. If this feature is enabled, then any potentially sexual messages the miner receives will be flagged, like kind of like blurred out, like, are you sure you want to see this? They can report it to their parents, I think, or maybe directly to Apple. I know the parents are involved in this somehow. And it also warns anyone who is using Safari or Spotlight, if they make any kind of questionable searches, there will be a pop-up about like, hey, you might be 
looking up something that's not really cool there. Do you want some resources? Here's like some places you can get help. This is still a little bit controversial for some people, but in my opinion, it's way, way better. And especially the fact that it's opt-in, you know, the, the CSAM scanning was going to be mandatory across the board. This is opt-in. And in my opinion, that's the biggest thing that makes this more acceptable. In an unrelated move, but since we're talking about Apple, in iOS 16.2, AirDrop will automatically shut off after 10 minutes for all users. This will prevent users from getting content that they didn't consent to because they forgot to shut off AirDrop. I mentioned we talk a little bit about their bending the knee to China. This already rolled out in China around the time there were some COVID protests going on in China about the restrictions in China. And Apple really got criticized because they've never pushed out an update to just a specific region before. And the timing really seemed fishy. And we've also covered a story in the past about how Apple was going to start storing Chinese data in Chinese data centers, which normally would be a good thing, except in this case, it was like, okay, you're doing that so that the government can get easy access to their data. It's a whole thing. So like I said, we'll talk about the FBI stuff. This implementation of zero knowledge is not going over well with everyone. A lot of privacy people are stoked about it. Governments specifically are not like the US FBI and the UK government who of course are reciting all the usual tired rhetoric about drug dealers and pedophiles going dark because apparently just going undercover and doing your actual job is too hard, especially when there have been numerous studies that say that mass surveillance doesn't freaking work. Sorry for editorializing that last bit, but I don't think you guys will really be offended by it. Nobody wants to inhibit the cops from stopping the bad guys. It's just clearly mass surveillance doesn't work. There are tons of studies proving it. I'm sorry, you're just gonna have to get out from behind your desk and go do your job. What a shame. I mean, truthfully, I would like to spend my day job sitting behind my desk too, but guess what? That's not the job I signed up for. I have to get up and do my job. Okay, I'm going to get off that soapbox and get on to the, like, let's actually analyze this uh, soapbox. So I don't think I'm putting words in Henry's mouth when I say this is a good thing. Henry and I have both mentioned before that one of our biggest criticisms with Apple is unencrypted data in iCloud. And the thing is, iCloud is enabled by default for Apple users. So even if you're not using Apple email, most Apple users are still using iCloud because most of them, it turns on by default and you have to actually go into the settings and shut it off. And most people don't change the default settings. I remember one time I was dating a girl, we broke up. And then uh, this was right around the time I uh, I just gotten into privacy or I was, it was right around that time. And so at one point I just like randomly checked my iPhone iCloud and there were still pictures of her in there and they weren't like sorted pictures or anything, but it just that, that kind of emotional shock of like, oh, I was not expecting that. And I mean, it was fine. Like everything was pretty amicable as far as breakups go, but it was still just that surprise of getting caught off guard. Like, oh, I, number one, didn't know I was using iCloud. Number two, was not expecting to see pictures of her in the cloud. Um, and I did delete them and move on. But you know, it's the point is like, even when you try, these settings are, in my opinion, intentionally confusing because they don't want you to shut it off. So yeah, this is a huge step forward to protect people's privacy. I, I personally am a little bit suspicious about the whole it won't encrypt contacts, emails, and calendar. I mean, if this is supposed to be a backup anyways, it's not like you should be running out of that live. So I don't understand why that stuff can't be decrypted on the device, but then encrypted once it gets pushed into iCloud. Maybe there is a legitimate technical reason for that. I've long said I'm not a programmer. I'm not a cryptographer. But in my opinion, that seems like a really... I don't know. That seems kind of like a cop-out. Definitely a huge fan of hardware tokens. I really do not like the way that Apple does two-factor when you're logging into the cloud. And uh, I mean, iMessage key verification, I don't know how many people are going to use it, but hey, it's always nice to have these security options at our fingertips. The CSAM scanning, when I shared this story, a lot of people added, you know, they've killed off their plans for now. That's fair. We don't know what the future holds. They might try to bring it back, but for now, let's celebrate the fact that they've at least temporarily 
rolled it into a grave. Hopefully it'll stay there. Maybe it won't. The future is never certain. All this to say, overall, I think this is a good move. And this is not us shilling Apple. If you don't want to use Apple, we respect that. Again, we went on a whole rant about this last week. If you hate Apple and Google, we respect that. Help your friends and family switch to alternative OSs. We'll start talking about those more and you won't have to hear us constantly talk about these. We cover that news when it comes out, when we can, but Apple and stock Android, like a non-custom OS, still hold the vast majority of market share. So that's why we cover these stories. The day that they stop holding the vast majority of market share, the smaller they get, the less we will cover them. So again, we're not trying to shill anybody. This is a good move on Apple's part. We are congratulating this move. We criticized them a couple weeks ago when it turned out they were collecting identifiable user data. We're, we're covering the news, guys. And if you want to see less of it, then you need to help these other projects grow. Okay, I think we've covered everything on that front. With that, we will move into our data breaches. We're going to start off with Deezer, the music service who admits that data breached via third party possibly affected 200 million or more users. Quick editorial note, the real story here, in my opinion, is that Deezer has 200 million plus users. I've never met anyone who uses Deezer. I digress. For those who don't know, Deezer is a music streaming service, kind of like Spotify or Apple Music. The data that was stolen includes first and last names, dates of birth, email addresses, gender, city and country, join date, and user ID. It did not include any passwords or payment data. Personal note again, I don't understand why my music service needs to know my gender, first and last name, or even date of birth. And I guess maybe to make sure I'm okay to listen to explicit music, but it should be as simple a transaction as I tell my service to play Silent Planet's latest album, and they do. I I don't understand what more needs to go into this, but I digress. The attacker claims to have 258 million records from at least 240 million users, including 228 email addresses and the log sessions, including IP addresses and device details. This was apparently the result of a third-party data breach, but honestly, the article didn't really go into much elaboration there. They didn't say, like, who it was or what kind of breach or anything like that. So, yeah. Common Spirit Health suffered a ransomware attack that exposed the data of 623,000 patients. Common Spirit Health is an Illinois-based nonprofit health system. They are the second largest health system in the U.S. with 140 hospitals and over 1,000 care sites across 21 states. The data included full names, addresses, phone numbers, dates of birth, and a unique internally assigned ID. Personally, I'm always extra disappointed to see these, um, these like healthcare data breaches because I'm a strong believer that you should not be lying to your doctor but it really disincentivizes you to tell the truth to your doctor when they're just leaking your data all over the place. Your doctor like has a genuine reason to know how old are you? How do I get in touch with you with your test results? Like, yeah, I don't know. That's just really unfortunate. Okay, this next data breach is a little bit interesting. This is a study from NordVPN. It says stolen data of 600,000 Indians sold on bot markets so far. This study alleges that around 5 million people have had their data stolen and sold on the Genesis, Russian market, and two easy bot markets, with 600,000 coming from India alone, which makes them uh, apparently by far like the largest chunk by nation of people who have been affected by this. Nord claims that bot markets are worse than the usual darknet data breach markets because the attackers can, quote, get large amounts of data about one person in one place, unquote, and keep it updated even after the sale, so long as the victim's device stays infected. They found 667 million cookies, 81,000 digital fingerprints, 538,000 autofill forms, and, quote, numerous device screenshots and webcam snaps. And I just want to point out, like, this is probably a lot worse because this study only focused on three sites and only focused on the specific type of data breach, the the whole infected device thing. Because when I first read that headline, I'm like, that seems kind of low, but now I understand why, because the narrow scope of the study. Quick tip for mobile devices, restart them about once a week. 
most malware, except for like the high level, like Pegasus kind of stuff, most malware is actually not persistent. So as long as you're using the latest device and you restart it about once a week, most malware, that'll just wipe it clean off. Our next data breach comes from Ontario, Canada. The information of 360,000 people affected in COVID-19 vaccine data breach. This breach actually happened over a year ago, November 16th of 2021, on a government vaccine database. For 95% of those affected, only name and or phone number was breached. I don't know if that means the other 5% nothing really got breached or if they mean that it was worse. They have already arrested and charged two people in connection with this incident and they are now notifying affected individuals. In response to why it took them so long, they claimed that they had to do their proper research and assess the full scope. It sounded like a cop-out to me. It's, it's pretty ridiculous that a government should take over a year to let people know their data was out there. I'm very disappointed by that. Our next story comes from, I believe, Australia. It says, Telstra blames privacy breach on data misalignment. So this affected 130,000 customers, and it was, quote-unquote, mistakenly published online via directory assistance and white pages when they should have been unlisted, unquote. This included names, numbers, and addresses. Telstra is offering ID care support, which I think is kind of similar to the whole, uh, you know, several years of credit ID monitoring garbage. Popular HR and payroll company Sequoia discloses a data breach. So this is a company who, I believe if I remember the article correctly, they specifically cater to like startups. They're kind of one of those kind of companies. This impacted both corporate customers and individuals, but they did not disclose how many people were affected. They are offering three years of free Experian identity protection services. The data included names, addresses, dates of birth, gender, marital status, employment status, social security numbers, work email addresses, wage data related to benefits, member IDs, as well as other ID cards, COVID-19 test results, and vaccine cards. This is really unfortunate. That is a lot of data and... I could see the value of knowing this data from an analytic standpoint. You know, this is how we find out information like, is there a gender pay gap? And, you know, are there a disproportionate number of minorities in leadership roles? And, you know, these are how we identify things like that. They need to do a better job protecting their data. I mean, if you're going to collect that much data, you need to put more work into protecting it. It's really that simple. And our final data breach comes from Rackspace, who is warning of phishing attacks following a ransomware attack. So Rackspace is a cloud computing provider, and this was an attack, if I understood the article correctly, this was an attack on their hosted Microsoft Exchange environment. Personal side note, how come every time I see the words Microsoft Exchange, it's always in a bad story, like data breach or vulnerability. It's never like Microsoft Exchange voted the most secure corporate environment. Never, ever. Rackspace is still investigating this incident, but in the meantime, they are warning people to be on the lookout for any phishing attempts and to report any suspicious messages they receive back to Rackspace. Okay, with that, let's move into companies. We're going to start off with um, a big one that I promised we would talk about last week. So the headline says, newsletter, newsletter writer Matt Tybee got access to Twitter's internal systems like Slack as Elon Musk continues his Twitter files campaign. So Elon Musk has given journalist Matt Tybee access to a ton of internal emails, messages, and other data from Twitter's staff, previous staff, by the way, before Elon Musk took over, mainly political stories, such as the now infamous and polarizing Hunter Biden laptop story. There's definitely a lot of other stuff in there. That's the one I keep hearing about the most often, but there's a lot of stuff there. His disclosures mainly center around Twitter's internal discussions regarding moderation and kind of deciding like, what are they going to allow? What are they going to suppress? When are they going to allow it? Because some of it was about timing and stuff like that. Various political events, accounts, posts, etc. Now, before anyone says that, you know, I'm overlooking an element of the story or there's more to it or I'm not doing it justice, which I accept all of that, I want you to remember that this is not a political podcast. We are a privacy and security podcast who talks about privacy and security news. We try to stay neutral. 
because I, I want you to imagine for a second, if you're a right-leaning person and we started going off on all this leftist stuff, you would probably stop listening and vice versa. There is one specific channel that also does privacy and security news that I stopped listening to because I got tired of hearing his political takes. We don't want you guys to do that. You don't come here to hear our political opinions. Trust me, I have opinions about this story. They're not relevant right now. We're talking about the privacy and security. So the privacy and security part of this story, all of those emails, messages, posts, Slack, etc., are now public. And again, as I said, all of this was done before Musk bought the platform. Regardless of how you feel about any aspect of this story, including the sale of Twitter to Elon Musk, I'm willing to bet that the people who sent these messages, when they sent them, I guarantee you they thought no one's ever going to see this, for better or worse. Whether they were being malicious and whether they were like, eh, no one's ever going to see this, or whether they were just doing their job, it probably never crossed their mind like, hey, somebody might publish this someday. But they did, and now it's here, and now we're talking about it, and now you can go online and read it all for yourself, I think. I actually can't remember if he's published. I think he's published some of the files and he's still like going through the rest of them. But anyways, the privacy and security message here is to remember that anything, literally anything you put in a digital format, you should consider it compromised, especially exponentially more so as more people get involved. I know I'm kind of the outlier here because I think about privacy and security all the time, but like literally every email I send at work, every Teams message I send at work, and it's a work computer, so I don't care. I'll put any malware crap they want me to on there. Every single message I send, I know in the back of my head, I'm like, don't say anything stupid because who knows what'll happen. Maybe somebody will forward it and forget to redact it. Maybe there will be a data breach. The client might see this. Somebody else might see this. So that's why we're sharing the story. It's important for you guys to remember, never assume you're totally safe. Now, obviously there's a sliding scale. Some things are a little more safe than others, but just always have that in the back of your head. Like there's always the possibility this could get exposed. Okay, I think I beat that horse to death. Let's talk about Amazon, who is offering people $2 a month for running their phone's data through Amazon. It's actually a little more than that. So this is a new service. It is called Amazon's Shopper Panel. That's actually an app where basically it takes over the VPN slot on your phone and routes all of your traffic through an Amazon-owned VPN for the purpose of seeing what ads you've seen. The Shopper Panel app will pay you up to $10 a month for other invasive data. Like you can upload receipts from places that aren't Amazon and you can fill out surveys. You know what? This I'm going to go ahead and quote the article here. They summed it up perfectly. Quote, even if you were willing to basically give up your privacy, which you probably shouldn't be, why would you do it for just a few dollars? If there's anything more personal than your internet traffic, it's a list of things you bought. Receipts can and have been used as evidence in court, unquote. So yeah, this author really gets it. Our last company story is bad news. It says open source software host Fosshost shutting down as CEO unreachable. Fosshost was, as the name suggests, an open source software hosting and cloud computing provider. Apparently the CEO is completely unreachable and has been for a while, and staff literally do not have the access to the necessary accounts to keep the service running. Like, for example, they cannot access the bank account to pay for hosting and location costs. They literally can't do anything. Like, they're watching the company crumble because they don't have access and permissions to get things done, which is really unfortunate. This is actually a really big deal because there are names like Gnome, Debian, and Free Software Foundation Europe who all use Fosshost. So... Fosshost is advising people to uh, start backing up your data and move it elsewhere. All right, we're going to move into research, and we're going to go back to talking about Twitter for just a minute. The headline says, a Twitter data tracker inhabits tens of thousands of websites. This was researched by Adalytics, which is a digital ad analysis firm, and it involves the Twitter pixel. 
And yep, it's going exactly where you think it's going to go. This can be found on sites from government agencies like studentaid.gov, hospitals, media publishers, quote, over half of all U.S. members of Congress, unquote, and other brands, all of whom are probably totally unaware of this happening. The study found at least 70,000 websites using the Pixel as of November 2022. This article actually didn't really go into detail about what information the Twitter Pixel is collecting. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say it's probably not quite as bad as the Metapixel, but that's only because Meta is notoriously data hungry, like worse than a lot of other companies in my opinion. They just kind of set the bar like really low. Twitter would have to be collecting a lot of data to be worse than Meta. And I'm not trying to say it's better. I'm just saying in terms of just trying to tell you guys, like, what does it collect? I don't know. Probably not as much as Meta does, but still probably more than they should. So there's a couple things that make this extra problematic. Number one, ever since Elon Musk took over Twitter as part of his deal to take over Twitter, investors who invest $250 million or more are given more access to data than lower level investors. And some of these $250 million people include like the Saudi Arabian prince and a Qatari fund, lots of foreign interest in these investors. There may also be some conflict of interest here since Tesla competitors also use the Twitter pixel and wait a minute, Tesla's CEO is now running Twitter and has access to all the data. I strongly suspect we're gonna see an update to this in the future. We'll keep you updated as we go. Our next story is an interesting bit of research. As usual, don't panic, hear us out. The headline says, AirGap PCs vulnerable to data theft via power supply radiation. They're calling this COVID bit. I could not figure out why or what this has to do with COVID or anything like that. This comes from the same guy who brought us Etherled and Satan, which I believe we've covered on previous surveillance reports. Just like those attacks, this is why I said don't panic. This relies on the target device already being infected with a malware that regulates CPU load and core frequency in order to emanate electromagnetic radiation at low frequencies. This can then be used to wirelessly transmit data, even through walls, which I thought was pretty impressive, to a receiving device, which could be a laptop or even a smartphone. They tested this on desktops, laptops, and even a Raspberry Pi, which all performed best to worst in that order. So the desktops did best... Uh, the laptops didn't do so good and the Raspberry Pis did the worst because of power supply limitations. This is really interesting. We share stories like this just to remind you guys that nothing is unhackable. And we definitely encourage you to do as much as you can for your privacy and security. But we really want to caution you guys not to get too caught up in it and not to like hurt yourselves mentally or emotionally. Like take care of your mental health because at the end of the day, nothing is unhackable. Okay, and our, our last uh, article in research, this is actually three articles in one. The Samsung Galaxy S22 was hacked twice on the first day of Pwn to Own Toronto, again on the second day, and in 55 seconds on day three. I'm going to go ahead and own my bias up front. I hate Samsung. Ever since WikiLeaks shared that the NSA had a straight up backdoor into their operation, look up Weeping Angel Samsung or like Weeping Angel NSA, look up something like that if you want to know more. That really put me off of them at first. But unfortunately, since then, this has proved to be the norm is that Samsung just has really bad security. Earlier this year, they got caught. Uh, there was like some kind of source code breach or something like that. And experts looked at their, their cryptography and basically spent a straight week shaming them. So I, I'm just going to be honest. My bias is I think Samsung is garbage and I think you should buy almost literally any other phone than a Samsung. Having said that, Pwn to Own, which is a major hacker convention, has been taking place this week in Toronto. Um, I think it ended today as I recorded this or something like that. Uh, in three days, the Samsung S, uh, Galaxy S22 was hacked four times. All four of them were zero-day improper input validation attacks. Again, I'm not a programmer. I don't want to talk too much trash when I don't really know. But I feel like that's one of those things that, like, really, you don't validate the input. 
Maybe it was more complex than that. Again, I don't know. I do want to be fair as much as I dislike them. The rules of the uh, convention require that the device is running the latest OS with all available updates. So this, in theory, should be Android 13 with all the latest updates. There were also other devices exploited. You know, as much as I'm ragging on Samsung, they found weaknesses and other stuff. I recommend you guys check out the article. But yeah, um, four times in three days. That's really not a good look. Samsung security record is not great this year. But again, to be fair, who knows? Maybe all this stuff is laying the groundwork for them to do better in the future. I'm not really holding my breath, but I could be wrong. We've been wrong before. Let's move into politics. And who oh boy, we have a lot of stories this week. A lot of tech companies are getting sued. I think you guys are going to like it. So we're going to start off in Texas, who is the latest state to ban TikTok on government devices. This list now includes South Dakota, South Carolina, Maryland, and Texas, and Wisconsin is urging their governor to do the same. For what it's worth, the article notes that it's mostly red states who are doing this. Uh, Wisconsin currently has a Democratic governor, so we'll see if they do it. If they do it, in my opinion, that'd be good, because I think that shows that this is a bipartisan issue. Who knows? We'll see what happens. We'll stay in Texas for a little bit, where the Texas State Representative Jared Patterson has put forth HB 896, which would basically make social media illegal to children under 18. The unfortunately alarming part of this is how are you going to verify somebody's 18? Well, of course, you're going to verify their age via a photo ID. The article also says that parents would be allowed to request the removal of their child's account. This uh, does not seem like a great bill. With that, we'll jump back to TikTok, where the Indiana attorney governor has filed two lawsuits against TikTok. One says that TikTok is misleading in their advertising and that they are encouraging minors to access content that is sexual, drug-related, or uses profanity and is actually much worse than TikTok is suggesting. They're alleging that TikTok is downplaying how potentially harmful the platform may really be. The second lawsuit pertains to their data collection practices and the fact that they share data with the Chinese government, which we have covered on previous surveillance reports. I have two personal thoughts on this one. Number one, why not attack on multiple fronts? One of them hopefully will stick at least. And then just a side note for everyone in the comments who's like, what about Google? What about Meta? What about Amazon? They all do this too. We agree with you for the record. We're not the ones in control of these lawsuits, okay? We talk about it when Meta gets sued. Just last week, I think we talked about how Meta is being sued over the Metapixel. We talk about it when Amazon gets sued. We talk about it when Google gets sued. We talked about that one too. Texas sued them for location tracking stuff. We're just reporting the news, guys. We Believe me, we 100% agree with you. I agree with people daily that it's really whack that the U.S. is has such a, pardon my language if this offends anybody, the U.S. has such a hate boner for TikTok because it's a Chinese app, but then like Google, Meta, Amazon do the same thing and we're just like, what, what, what's going on? Like, yes, we, we agree with you. It's stupid. But again, we're not in control of the lawsuits here. We're not the ones saying that. We're just reporting the news. Okay, and then we got one more big tech lawsuit for you for now, which is Apple. Apple's AirTag stalkerware safeguards are quote unquote woefully inadequate, according to this lawsuit. Two women are filing a potentially class action lawsuit against Apple, claiming that Apple did not introduce sufficient privacy measures when they launched the AirTags to combat the abuse of technology by stalkers. One of the women, the article names them. I'm not going to do that because they're the victims here, but one of the women was stalked by her ex. This, okay, this one was wild. It was a three month relationship which first of all, I just got to be honest, that's pathetic on the part of the abuser. Like it was three months, dude, move on. Not the woman's fault for the record. I'm, I'm shaming the abuser here. That is super pathetic. It was only three months, move on. Things got bad enough though, that this woman fled to a hotel and then after the hotel moved to a new place and the stalker still managed to track her down and plant a second air tag and track her again in the new place. The second plaintiff found an AirTag on her child's backpack, which was placed by her ex-husband, which was also a messy divorce. I don't think they went into quite as much detail about that story, but they had a, a not pleasant, not peaceful divorce. 
she found an air tag on her kid's backpack and then she removed it and it showed up again uh they didn't really clarify i don't know if it's like joint custody and he kept putting the air tag on his backpack or if he was like showing up at the kid's school i don't know what was going on there but either way yeah so the, again these two women they're coming together they're like look apple did not think this through which in my opinion is unacceptable because when they announced this thing privacy people us included spent weeks saying like dude this is going to get abused this is going to get abused this is going to get abused and then it dropped and guess what happened it got abused apple's just got their head in the clouds i guess so they're filing this lawsuit and honestly personal note i hope they win because again apple had so much warning to take better measures so many people were warning them and they just blew everyone off and it came back to bite them i hope they win Okay, getting off my soapbox, we're moving into Ireland, whose privacy watchdog is engaging with Twitter over data access to reporters. So this goes back to the story earlier about the Twitter files. Ireland is basically investigating if this release violated any sort of data privacy regulations, because like I said earlier, these employees, when they sent these messages, I would argue they had a reasonable expectation that these messages would not be intentionally leaked. That's, that's kind of what they're looking into is like, did this violate any kind of uh, protections or any regulations? Um, we'll keep you updated if we hear any more. And our last story is a really quick one. The UK to consult on central bank digital currency in coming weeks. The headline really says it all. We're just trying to keep you people aware of this stuff. We are not fans of central digital currencies around here. I'm specifically not a fan of them if they phase out cash because cash is anonymous. A central digital currency is just another way for the bank to spy on you and control you. So we're not really fans of these. And we just try to let you know whenever... Um, whenever various countries or states are considering them, looking into them, rolling them out. This seems to be becoming more popular, which is not good. Okay, let's move into free and open source news because we actually have some cool news for you guys this week. We're gonna start off with Proton Drive, which is now in public release for iOS and Android. Henry and I regularly rag on Proton because their drive has a lot of issues. Henry's a lot more critical than I am. I like drive. Henry's had some negative experiences, but I respect that. And that is one thing we both agree on is like, it's kind of unusable right now because there's not really any apps. Well, now they're a step closer. Prior to this, Drive was in open beta for Android and closed beta for iOS. I think it was an open beta for Android. I know it was open. You could go download it. I think it was still in beta. On iOS, this now comes with the option to use a pin to lock the app. So even if you lose your device or it gets stolen, people can't just open it and get all your files. And the article closes by promising that a Windows app beta will be available, quote unquote, shortly, followed by Mac OS and Linux, quote unquote, eventually. Yes, they literally said eventually for Linux, which is unfortunate. I think once Proton Drive has apps, it will become significantly more usable and it'll become a much better option for average users. Our next couple of stories come from Threema. First up, they have a new communication protocol called Ibex. Threema has long been criticized for not including perfect forward secrecy in their messages. This is gonna be a gross oversimplification, but for those who don't know, perfect forward secrecy is basically like every time you send a message, you get a new key. So hypothetically, even if there was like a data breach, they would only be able to decrypt like one of your messages because every message has a unique key. That's a gross oversimplification, but that's kind of like a snapshot. Ibex is aiming to fix that. They will be bringing PFS back to their messages. Now it's worth noting that according to this blog post, Threema has always supported PFS on the transport layer and the end-to-end -end layer in one-to-one -one calls. I'm not gonna lie, I'm not, I don't hate Threema as much as a lot of people do. I will be honest, it sounds to me like this is very fancy marketing speak for basically saying, we only supported PFS with one-to-one -one calls. Someone correct me if that's wrong. The blog post does go on to admit they didn't support it previously at all for messages or maybe only for group messages or something like that. So Ibex is gonna fix that. So definitely check that out if you're interested in Threema or if you're a Threema user. 
And on that note, Threema for iOS will soon support multi-device functionality. So right now, if you use Threema on desktop, you have to do kind of like you do with MySudo or WhatsApp. Well, they don't use a browser, but there is an app. But when you open it, you have to sync it with your phone and then you have to leave your phone on while you're synced. They are now trying to fix that where once you sync it to the device, it just stays synced, kind of like Signal does. Currently, this will only work for iOS. So if you're Android, you'll still have to sync every time manually, but they are saying they will expand this to Android in time. Next up is Bitwarden, who is offering passwordless authentication for Bitwarden. I don't want to downplay it because I do think this is going to be a great usability feature for those who want it, but basically it's a mobile login. When you go to log in on your desktop, you can approve it via your mobile app. You'll get like a notification in the app and you say approve and you're logged in. Skiff has launched their calendar. Title really says it all. It is end-to-end -end encrypted. Right now it is web only, but they promise that it will be rolled out to the mobile apps in time. For those who don't know, Skiff is, uh, I, correct me if I'm wrong, I think they've actually been around for a while, but they recently open sourced. And so now they're kind of a little more on the privacy radar. They're also big into the web three thing. Uh, they have wallets that support, I believe Solana and Bat and maybe Ethereum. I'm gonna level with you guys other than like Monero and Bitcoin. I'm not really super into cryptocurrency and even with Monero and Bitcoin, I'm really not super into cryptocurrency. I'm just, point being, I don't really delve into the whole Web3 thing. For those of you who are Web3, you might be interested in Skiff. They offer encrypted email, encrypted drive, and uh, now an encrypted calendar, so yeah. Our next release comes from NT and it is called Auth. Uh, NT, NT, I don't really know how to pronounce that. Kind of makes me think of that one Pokemon. This is a popular recommendation in the community for photo storage. I've seen their name thrown around a lot. They have decided to use their existing platform for quote, reliably storing and syncing data encrypted end to end unquote, to roll out an authenticator. It is open source and allows for backups and viewing secrets. So you can take your secrets and go somewhere else if you don't like their uh, authenticator. The service is currently free, but they do explicitly state it may be paid in the future. However, existing free users will be grandfathered in. So if you're kind of on the fence about this, you should probably go sign up and get a copy now while it's free, and then you can be grandfathered into that. I do want to note that I personally have not really vetted NT. I did try to ask around and get some opinions last night, but nobody really chimed in. Like I said, I've seen them promoted for photo storage, but you know, your authentication tokens are probably a little bit more sensitive than most of your photos. Arguably, I guess it depends on the person. I guess what I'm trying to say is this is not an endorsement. We're just letting you guys know this is an option out there. And our final release is actually a pretty interesting one. It's Tor Browser 12.0. And the biggest news is that it now supports M1 Max natively, or I'm assuming also M2, but I know especially M1. They've also upgraded to Firefox ESR 102. They have added multi-locale support for desktop. So I think you can have multiple languages on the desktop app. They've enabled HTTPS only for Android. They've enabled prioritize.onion sites for Android, and they have added support for Albanian and Ukrainian languages. So cool stuff. With that, we will move into the Misfits section. Our first story is about ransomware attacks that forced French hospitals to transfer patients. This happened at the, I'm gonna screw this up too. The André Mignot Teaching Hospital in Paris took place Saturday evening. Uh, so like the evening of the third, as I record this. The hospital was still accepting walk-ins and consultations, but was forced to transfer six patients from neonatal and ICU to other facilities. It is uh, really unfortunate that we are living in a world where a digital attack can jeopardize your health and your life. That's the main reason I share these stories is this really fascinates me. These attacks on like infrastructure and medical and supply chain. And I think this is just a personal opinion, but I think in order to get governments to pay more attention to security and crack down on this kind of stuff, whether that's cracking down legally on the attackers or cracking down internally and having better defense, 
is we have to show people that cyber attacks are no longer like your friends posting stupid pictures on your Facebook because you stayed logged in. Like that's what most people think of when they think of hacks that, or they think of like, you know, the shady person in the hoodie stealing their identity and their credit card. And we, we really have to bring to mainstream attention that like, no, this is like shutting down oil pipelines, shutting down hospitals, shutting down electrical grids. Like this is really important stuff. For the record, I know you guys know that, but I'm just explaining why I share these stories. Our next story says Chrome 108 for Android, Mac, and Windows enables passkey support. So we talked in the past about passkeys. On the end user side, it functions very similar to a, like a push notification login. This is for the stable Chrome channel. We're mainly sharing this to show that it is coming soon, uh, whether you like it or not. I know some people are kind of skeptical of it. Henry mentioned last week that this is actually an open protocol. I think it was last week, might've been the week before. Passkeys are an open protocol. So it's not like you're gonna be forced to use Chrome or uh, you know Apple or whatever. Like we will probably start seeing this roll out in more privacy-friendly ways too. Like Brave will probably keep this feature in and support it. The Chrome team is working to add this to iOS and Chromebook next. I did put a note here for Henry since he's more knowledgeable about this than I am, but he, I guess he didn't have time to get back to me. I asked when this is going to be added to open source options like Aegis or Bitwarden. He didn't reply, but I do think we are going to see that in the near future. Okay, and our final story for the week is just a funny story to end on. It says, service agreement sees internet users consenting to give up a kidney. Um, I guess this is a little sad, depending on how you look at it. So Professor Jonathan Obar of York University created a study where 500 adults age 50 plus saw a fake social media landing page that required consent. The article didn't really explain, like, how did he get them to this page or anything like that. But he basically sent them to this website for a social media that doesn't exist. And of course it immediately popped up like you got to agree to the terms of service to use the thing. The terms of service specifically contain two clauses that most sane people would not accept. For example, one of them allowed the company to turn on the device's microphone and camera. And the other explicitly said that you are agreeing to share your data with the NSA. 91.4% of the people in the study accepted the terms of service, which is funny because in the, like, this was a multi-part study. So he did like a survey and then he did like this experiment part. In the survey part, those same people said that they value their privacy. So privacy paradox. I've seen this done before, usually as like a joke or a social experiment. Like for example, I remember a couple of years ago, there was a company for April Fools. Their terms of service said that you were agreeing to give them your soul. And actually, if you clicked decline, you would get like a $5 discount or something like that. I do have to wonder how many of these people do see that and click it anyways. First of all, a lot of the time, if you click no, you can't use the site more often than not. And so in the case of like the give them the soul one or like share your data with the NSA, how many of these people are like, well, the NSA has all my data anyways, whatever, click. I wonder how many people like even feel like they can say no. The terms of service have become such a there's a word for it. Of course, I'll remember it after I'm recording, but it's become such a thing where it's like, you don't feel like you can opt out. It feels like an illusion. You don't even try, you know? There's a name for that. I'm sure you guys will say it in the comments and I'll be like, yes, that. I guess it's kind of funny just because the idea of, you know, the terms of service, like you're giving up a kidney, you know? It, it's also a little bit depressing because it's, you know, again, people aren't reading the terms of service. And even if they are, maybe they feel like they can't say no. And that'll take us to our Q and A section. We had two questions this week. The first one comes from Khan who says, hey guys, I got a simple login and a custom domain. Number one, I wanted to ask if an analogous, an analogous, I don't know how to pronounce it. I know the word, but I don't know how to pronounce it now that I think about it. An analogous service for payments exists. Number one, yes, it's called privacy.com, but that one only works in the US. MySudo offers a mass payment option that I think also only works in the US. In the UK, there's one called Revolut. There are options. I'll admit there's not a lot of good options. I'm gonna get on a real quick soapbox. In the past, Henry and I have criticized the fact that people keep coming out with encrypted messengers. 
There's so freaking many of them. And I think one of the reasons is because I think encrypted messengers are sexy. They make people feel safe because we all communicate throughout the day. You know, everybody is constantly like, I'm texting my wife all day long at work. Like when I have a down moment, I'll like send a voice message or something. And so I think we all use encrypted messaging so much that it just becomes forefront of mind. And it's that easy, quick, low hanging fruit of like, switch to this, boom, now we're done. But it bugs me because it's like, okay, I now have, this is completely off the top of my head. And I'm not saying all of these are good or recommended. I'm just saying these are the options. I now have Telegram, WhatsApp, Signal, Threema, SimpleX, Session, Seawitch, or Kutch, Kutch, I think it's pronounced, Birdie, Briar. That's just off the top of my head. Matrix, of course. All of the, there's so many options out there. XMPP. But there's like two options for payment service. And even like privacy.com is the only one that does what it does. Revolut doesn't work that way. There's like two options for forwarding email and not adding a simple login. For the record, I understand it is really hard to start these services and get them up and running and like gain the traction and do the marketing. I'm not a programmer. I am not the person who should be talking trash and like, it's so easy. Why don't you do it? It's obviously not that easy or else an idiot like me would be doing it. But the point is, I think there's so many people who have the skills to make these kinds of services that just don't. And I will admit, like when it comes to payments, that's an especially sticky situation because the government is real strict about money. If you're going to make a privacy.com competitor that works in Europe, you're going to face a lot of extra regulations. I'm not saying it's easy. Like just getting on my soapbox, I really wish more people would focus their expertise on addressing these areas where we need more options. We have basically like two or three good email options, in my opinion, maybe five tops. We have like, again, two email forwarding options. We have one payment option, not including cryptocurrency because I cannot order curbside pickup with Monero. Thank you very much for people who argue that. And then those same people are complaining about CakePay, which is actually trying to make Monero usable and Bitcoin usable in day-to-day life. I digress. I'll get off that soapbox. I don't know. I just, yeah, there's not a lot of options out there. And if you're a programmer or somebody, I really wish you guys would, I request that you guys would start focusing, stop focusing on encrypted messenger number 551 million that what we do better is we include unicorn dust and, you know, emojis in your profile picture by default. Like stop it. Focus on something that is underserved and where we really need more options. Okay. Number two, how should one of these services be used? So when should one use the custom domain versus the alias? I'm a bit overwhelmed because your activity can be linked. I actually, I'm gonna go ahead and self-plug here. For those of you who don't know, I have a YouTube channel. I make videos. I haven't made videos for the last four months because I've been having computer issues like Henry noted one time, but that's coming to an end. I'll start up again in January. One of the last videos I made was about alias email addresses. And in that video, I actually showed how I use it. I use a couple of custom domains. And basically the the rule of thumb, if it's something you cannot afford to lose access to, like your bank, your medical, uh, something like that, I would use the custom domain because then if simple login, which I don't think is going to happen, but if simple login ever goes away, you can switch to a non-addy and import that custom domain and you're getting your emails again. Or if both of them go away for whatever reason, you can still like add that custom domain to your email provider or you can add it to your hosting provider and just say, send me everything. It gives you control over something if that happens. If, if you want a f- further breakdown, I would recommend that video, youtube.com slash the new oil or odyssey.com slash at the new oil. I'm also on a PeerTube, which is the PeerTube instance for surveillance report. Yes, it does open you up to having those accounts linked together. But at this point, like what's more important that LexisNexis doesn't know 
that that's the same account, the doctor and the bank, which they already know anyways, because they're both in your real name, or that you actually have control over those accounts if something goes wrong. I hope that made sense. I'm sorry, you guys. I've been talking for like two hours straight. I filmed two videos before I did surveillance report. I'm so tired. <laughs> the last question from Sam. Hi, Nathan, and probably not Henry. You're right. I have been thinking for a while about getting a home security system for strictly cameras pointing outside my property only with the recent Eufy break and the false claims of storing data in the cloud instead of locally. Do you know of or think I should trust a trusted third-party cloud or even one that claims local storage or should I self-host which can cause other issues thanks in advance? I really wish Henry was here for this one because I feel like he'd have some really good insight. I know Naomi Brockwell recently did a video about home security cameras and she ended up settling on the Apple HomeKit as like the least worst option. I don't want to say it was the best option. She acknowledged it had some problems, but she said that was kind of like the least worst option. I think she does recommend Eufy. Keep in mind that came out way before this happened. So there's always that infamous question that you guys know we always ask, what's your threat model? I guess look at it this way. Are, do you want this camera to have evidence if something goes wrong or as a preventative measure? And what I mean by that is like, okay, let's say you get this camera because you want to say, if somebody steals something off my porch, I want to have evidence to give over to the cops and say, this is who we're looking for. In that case, I would say go with something that does have cloud storage because if it's locally stored and they rip that camera off the wall, or if they break into your home and steal the computer that it's stored on, you now don't have that evidence. If you're more focused on deterring or immediate response, like if you say, I want something that's going to alert me when somebody's there, and then I can either call the cops or I can say like, oh, it's just the mailman, ignore it. Then in that case, you, you might want something that's more locally stored. Because again, if it's just a deterrent, then it doesn't really matter if it gets stolen. They're probably not going to be deterred either way. If it's, you know, something that gives me a notification that, you know, I just want to be notified when my kids get home. There are self-hosted options that will still notify you. I've never done them myself. I am very interested in learning more about that personally, but I do know it's a thing. We covered an article about it a couple weeks ago. Again, it really depends on your threat model. When you say self-hosting causes other issues, usually people are worried about the security. And in my opinion... If you have an up-to-date OS on your self-hosted stuff, you're probably unlikely to be singled out and targeted. If you're keeping your stuff up-to-date and you've got like good passwords and stuff, someone correct me if, if I'm wrong, but in my opinion, I, I feel like you're relatively safe unless you're doing something that you think would attract a lot of attention. Again, I wish Henry was here, but it really comes down to like, what's your threat model and what's your purpose? I, I think depending on that, your best bet might be to go with, um, not Yuffie, but you know, somebody who does have a third-party cloud. Otherwise, in my opinion, I mean, again, it depends on what issues. If you're worried about reliability, like delivery of the notifications, that might be something you have to play around with and see. For example, not to get too far off topic, but with Session, I know a lot of people complain about slow messages, never getting messages. I've never had those issues with Session. I'm not saying they don't happen. I'm just saying maybe I get lucky. I don't have those issues. Maybe that'll be the case for you. Maybe you'll set up a self-hosted thing and find out like, actually, I don't have these issues because I'm only getting two notifications a week, whereas everybody else is getting like five notifications a day because they live on a busy street and that's causing some sort of backup and causing them to get delayed notifications. Like your experience might be different. So I hate to say that because that's such a non-answer, but it, it really depends on like, what are you trying to defend against and what's your threat model? I would consider those two things and go from there. I'm sorry, that's not much of an answer. That is the news for this week. Apple has rolled out zero knowledge iCloud backups. They've dropped their CSAM scanning plans. There have been a ton of big tech lawsuits, the new Twitter pixel. I'm certain we will see a lawsuit over that. I, I hope, I hope that story will pick up more traction. There's just a lot going on this week and you know, it's going to carry on. We, we always tell you guys to stay subscribed and we'll update you on stories. 
And I think the longer this goes on, the longer that turns out to be true. You know, a lot of the time we say, hey, we covered this on a previous surveillance report. So if you want to know how those things are going to turn out, subscribe, whatever platform you're on. That's the best way to stay updated. Thank you guys so much for listening to Surveillance Report. Final thing we want to ask of you, as always, share the podcast around, uh, especially if there's like a specific story you want to send to somebody. Hey, check this story out at this timestamp. Make sure you are subscribed. Give us a rating if you're on a platform where that is an option. We're trying to reach as many people as possible with the message of privacy, and you can help us do that. Every little bit helps. Thank you guys so much. And Henry should be back next week with both of us.